Hi, this is Randall Dobbins with business partner Blueprint, welcoming you back to another episode of the Blueprint Pros Podcast, where we discuss how to land big corporate clients. And today, I'm so wonderful, I can't stand myself. We're going to jump into a bit of a controversial topic. Women in the boardroom, the truth. So, we've talked previously about the need for diversity and how we see large corporations making the turn to be more um, diverse and inclusive. And they're doing it out of necessity, out of strategic survival, let alone competitive advantage. But we're still stuck with the age-old question. I was on a on a, a podcast uh, a, a day or so ago, and the question came up, is it really different for women in the boardroom? Now, obviously, I'm talking to you uh, about this from what I've observed as a man. And so I can say with some certainty that um, quote unquote locker room talk does occur. I can tell you for a fact that there are men that don't believe women can do certain jobs. Um, uh, There are some men that really and truly believe Women shouldn't be in the workplace. As a matter of fact, some believe women shouldn't actually be preachers or pastors, shouldn't be in the pulpit. And so a number of issues that women have come across are very real. So let's 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 make sure we level set any any marginalized or minority group, whatever life experiences that you've had. Um, more than likely, <clears throat> um, they indeed were were something that that you had happen as well as it happened to other people. It is real, and that uh, it is clearly more than a figment of your imagination. So I want to level set on that, uh, and and we're in a we're in a crazy time right now where we talk about the the male female dynamic in the age of Me Too where. Uh, it's been reported widely that men are now sometimes afraid to meet with women alone so that, um, you know, because there's concern of accusation of um, bad conduct, ac- accusations of some type of sexual impropriety. Uh, in some cases, clearly it's real. In other cases, it's manufactured. But it's brought about uh, a, a position in the workplace now, especially as you get it to more and more senior levels when people have more to more more to lose just based on mere allegation, uh, real or not, that uh, a number of executives are going and, and women executives are doing this the same. I mean, you know, let's not sleep. Um, the Me Too movement is clearly about women, but uh, there as well have, have been men that have uh, gone through some stuff. You look at the gay lesbian movement and whatnot. You know this really is is broader than just one single gender. It's the notion of somebody with power believing that they can abuse it and take advantage of someone else for their own personal benefit. Um. So, you know, I want to make sure that we're very clear that these things are are indeed real. Now, you get into this other issue of whether or not women need to be more assertive, do they need to be less emotional? Uh, do they get into, you know, when you start going down, uh, you know, are, 
are men intimidated by strong, powerful women? What I would tell you is that um, for some men, um, they are intimidated by strong, powerful women. For some men, they are um, they they don't really like uh, aggressive women. For some men, this that and the other, and so forth and so on. But what I would tell you is that's <clears throat> those aren't things you control. They really aren't. I tend to tell my my daughter the same thing that I tell my son. I don't say, you know, hey, you know, because you're a woman, you need to do this, that, and the other, and tell my son because you're a man, you need to. No, no. <clears throat> I give them both the exact same advice. And it's one of those things where when you start hearing these stories and these scripts about you need to do less of this and more of this, that, and the other, and whatnot, there's a problem with all of that. You know, no one thing is going to work in every situation. It just isn't. So you've got to get to a point where you can do something that just works for you. And this reminds me of something that came up in the news the other day, which I think is probably the bigger issue when you really think about it. And it's a lot of what we talk about and what we uh, what we walk through in our various courses and programs. Uh, the former Secretary of State, Condoleezza Rice, this is not a political observation. This is a... a, a uh, uh, an observation around preparation. There's a question as to whether or not a woman can coach a professional football team, a national football league in the U.S., a, a professional football team in U.S. football, because a woman's never coached a team before, a professional team. And so given that her name has been thrown around, this is uh, the former Secretary of State, Condoleezza Rice, uh, her name was thrown around as being the potential commissioner for football. Her name has been thrown around for being the commissioner of of baseball. And this is one of those people whose um, uh, resume, uh, professional resume, as, I mean, she's a provost at Stanford, Stanford University. This is a woman whose credentials clearly speaks to uh, authority, ability to perform and deliver and operate at the highest levels. And it's interesting that she was uh, considered to move out of politics and academia into professional sports. And she had a very fascinating response to this whole thing. She said she was honored to be uh, thought of uh, to to fit uh, to be able to to go in and actually coach a professional team. She said, however, she had to decline. She said she wanted to decline, not because she didn't think a woman could do the job. She said, clearly, you get to a point where, you know, if you're capable, you're capable. That That's not it. If you know sports, you, you, you know plays, you know offenses, you know defenses, you know strategy, you know how to sit down and talk about this, that, and the other, and so forth and so on, then, you know, that's really not the issue. And it's kind of interesting. She has been on the, um, well, she was on the selection committee to pick the top four university teams to go in the college football playoff. She was in that original CFP committee uh, that started up about four or five years ago. And uh, she actually helps pick coaches for the various uh, Stanford teams. And what any coach will tell you, male coach or a female coach that interviewed with her, they will tell you she knows her sports more than anyone else they've spoken with. 
So this really and truly is not an issue of her skill set or capability or knowledge. So let's just put that aside. Um, you know, no one's doing her a favor by saying, you know, hey, as a woman, do you think you want to do this and the other and whatnot? Her observation around all of this was she she had to respectfully decline because she said she didn't think that it would, A, be fair um, for her to just step in at the highest level in the sport without having gone through the system. And number two, this would end up being nothing more than an experiment uh, which could make it worse for any woman after her if she didn't uh, knock it out the park. And she wasn't saying she didn't have confidence that she could do a great job. She was saying it makes more sense, especially if she's trying to create fantastic opportunities for women, that um, they work their way up through the ranks, just like the men. And uh, they get to a point where when they get that position, they have the full support of everybody in the system, which is a requirement for success. You have to build a network of support in order to get people to buy into what you're trying to accomplish and therefore achieve the results that you want. So I'm sitting there, I'm listening to that, and it's like, you know, she didn't get into a conversation around whether, you know, women relative to men are more emotional, whether she need to be more aggressive or anything. What she said was she understood that you needed to work through the system to get the buy-in, to have the resume, the success records, and the skill sets that you needed to compete at that level. Because at some point, it's really more about the X's and O's. And so... I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this and I'm going, well, hopefully the the outcome of this is that we indeed start seeing more female coaches. Um, we see in, in um, U.S. basketball that we have women on the coaching staffs for some of the uh, NBA teams, National Basketball Association teams. Uh, we've seen in the National Football League that we have women referees. And so now it would be great to start seeing women in the coaching staffs and sooner rather than later that um, we have enough in the pipeline that when the when the head coaching positions become available, just like we see uh, with uh, there's something there's an owner called uh, 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 Rooney, Mr. Rooney from the Pittsburgh Steelers had what's called the, the Rooney rule that applied to diverse uh, uh, candidates, black and, and, and Hispanic and, and other others. When these uh, coaching opportunities came along, somebody had to say, you know, show me why a diverse candidate is not as good a fit as any other candidate that they de definitely had to be interviewed. And so as uh, uh, former Secretary Rice was pointing out, you, you want to be able to create more opportunities for women in that way so that uh, you start building that pipeline. And so this was really not a conversation about can women do it? Will be will men be threatened or this, that, and whatnot? She talked about what's the process and what's the procedure that creates the greatest opportunity for a group that has been underserved. And that, you know, it goes without saying that, you know, women are qualified. Which now brings us back to the, the, the topic, women in the boardroom. We're not really having a conversation about whether women are qualified to be in the boardroom. Women clearly are qualified to be in the boardroom. That's never been an issue of whether or not women were qualified. The issue has always been, what was the preparation that made anybody, male or female, boardroom worthy? And so rather than getting distracted 
about all the other issues, because once again, you've heard me say this time and time in and time again, as long as we have people, we're going to have isms and is. We're going to have racism, uh, sexism, um, tribalism. Uh, we're going to have races, um, you know, uh, homophobes, sexist, Islamophobes, you know, take your pick. You take your pick. We're, we're, we're going to have so, – so when we start talking about this um, utopian society where there's absolutely no bias, I, I don't know when that's going to happen. Um, I, I, we're, we're, we're always going to find new things, truth be told, from, for, from my point of view. So I think the bigger challenge is to focus on what we can what we what's within our control. I, I love the way Stephen Covey talked about this in his book, The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective People. He says, there's your circle of influence and there's your circle of concern. Most people uh, spend way too much time trying to operate in their circle of concern. He said he's found that in order for him to be his best, he he tries to operate within his circle of influence. There are things which he actually has influence uh, of, and that's a much smaller subset than those things that um, that's in his circle of concern. But it it allows him to be productive, staying in his circle of, circle of influence. And so, in this case, I think we're left with three simple three simple things. Three simple things. Number one, um, with regard to women in the boardroom, I'm going to share with 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 you ladies what I share with everybody. Be yourself. I, it took me a long time to get comfortable with being myself. I, I, I'll tell you, it was it was one of those strange things. You, you, you know, somebody wants somebody always wants to make you to believe there's a certain personality type that's going to be successful, and we're at the point now where that's just no longer true. The issue is, can you find a customer that really appreciates and understands what it is you're bringing to the table? So there are going to be some customers, you know, not every customer is a good customer. There are going to be some customers that just are not good customers. It doesn't matter what you do. It has nothing to do. I mean, it could be your personality. It could be your clothing. It could be the car you drive. It could be where you went to school. It could be a whole host of things that have absolutely nothing to do with your, your company's uh, core capabilities and strengths. That just is. All right. I mean, there are just thousands and thousands and thousands of customers. So that's that's just one of those things that comes with the territory. So first and foremost, be yourself, period. Second, be the best. Now, this one is when where I see uh, uh, you, you and maybe a whole host of other people making excuses. The excuse is, um, well, um, yeah, 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 I'm not the best, but you, you know, look, look at the other company that's in there. Uh, look, look, look at this and look look over here and look at that. And, uh, all the excuses and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, no. Be the best. Uh, if you recall in a prior episode, I talked about being a subject matter expert, being um, having a domain expertise. And uh, or it, this, this is one of those things where if you're competing at the top of the game, you need to be the best. You need to be striving to be the best. If you're not hurt, you're Avis. If you're not number one, you're number two. Plain and simply put, that should be your go-to-market strategy to be at the top of the game. We're talking about five, six, seven, eight, nine-figure contracts. No buyer knowingly wants to give a five, six, seven, eight, nine, up to 10-figure contract with somebody that's 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, or 15th. You, you, you catch that? 
No one knowingly wants to give a big dollar contract to somebody that's uh, not in the in the in the in the running, not not truly competitive. Just just don't. So you need to uh, be the best and whatever that takes, whatever you have to do. Uh, and you should want to do that for all your customers, not just the, the large corporate customers. That is a competitive differentiator for you in the in the marketplace. You need to be the best at whatever it is you do. Now, you know, being the best in one business is not defined the same as being the best in another business. So you, you have to figure out what it means to be the best in your market. And then the third thing is deliver, deliver, deliver. Large corporations are about results. Trying harder doesn't really mean a lot if it doesn't come with results. So you have to always be looking at showing your customer value, the results. So let's recap the three of them. Be yourself, be the best, and deliver, deliver, deliver on results. And not only is that going to get you in the boardroom, but that's going to get you the deal each and every time you're in the boardroom. And it doesn't matter whether you're a woman uh, or or anyone else. That's the trick. That's going to get you in there and that's going to keep you there. Those three things. Be yourself. Be the best. Deliver, deliver, deliver. So that's the story. That's the truth about women in the boardroom. Um that's uh, our topic for the day, and uh, pretty soon I'm going to open up a spot where you can go to a, a website and leave some comments and uh, get on our uh, newsletter. So uh, in the next couple of days, listen for that. I'm going to tell you a little bit more. But until then, you uh, stay tuned for our next episode. This is Randall signing off.